want you guys to know that we're going to have some real talk this morning, okay? We're going we're gonna to talk about some stuff that may hit home, may be a little bit challenging, um, but that's the, that's the point of the new year, right, is to better ourselves, um, is to become the new person, and we talked about that last week, and I want to continue that this morning, and so what I want to do is I'm going to be talking about some things that may seem like I'm calling us out, um, because I am, and I hope you guys are okay with that. And so I want to read one verse to you this morning, but as I, as I read this passage this morning, there's one word that comes to mind as I have read this and as I have been studying it um, this week. Uh, there's one word that seems to emerge really as the defining tribute to what Isaiah is, is proclaiming here. And what's interesting is actually Jesus proclaims this same thing later on. And we're going we're to look at that passage as well, that, that Jesus didn't leave this alone. Isaiah said it, Isaiah prophesied about it. And Jesus said, look, you, you all should have listened to him because now you're doing the same things. And so what, what Jesus was doing and, and what Isaiah is doing is he's talking to the religious leaders uh, of their time. And, and the one word that, that really stood out or, or comes to mind is empty. Emptiness. And, and, the, and, the, and the dictionary definition of empty is containing nothing, not filled or, or occupied. And so here is Isaiah, he's, he's talking to Israel, and, and Jesus is talking to his religious leaders, and they, and they say this, and they're saying, y'all are just empty. Now, that's a very serious indictment on the, on the people of Jerusalem, right? I mean, that, that's the place where, where God's presence was supposed to abide. I mean, that's where, that's where God's presence was. And Isaiah is saying, God's presence may be here, but y'all are empty. God's presence is here. God is here. There's no, there's no doubt about that, but y'all's, y'all's hearts are hollow. There, there's something wrong here. And then if we move forward into our current situation, into today's modern Christianity, I would actually venture to say that we fall into this same category. Now, obviously, that's a very broad assumption. That's throwing everybody under the bus, right? Forgive me for that. <laughs> you know, you might be sitting there thinking, well, Pastor, I, I've been pretty good since the start of the new year. I've been, shoot, Pastor, 2021, I did great. If that is you, then guess what? You can take these warnings that I'm going to give you, and you can teach them to other people. But there are some of us, there are, there are people that when we read this, the indictment carries over. That, that, that the words of Jesus and the words of Isaiah, where they said, you, you, you have emptiness of heart, it, it, it hits us at home. And so, and so listen to the words. Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13 says, and the Lord says, now, church, do, do we think we should take this serious? The, the Lord says this. It's not some man, it's not some angry preacher that, you know, that's still recovering, that just wants to be mean this morning. No, the Lord says this. These people come near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips. Mm. But their hearts, their hearts are far from me. Uh. The Lord says, 
Again, this isn't Pastor Andrew. If, that, if that's convicting to you, it's not Pastor Andrew. That's the Holy Spirit. The Lord says, they honor me with their mouths. They honor me with their lips. They're, 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 they're saying the right things. And in reality, they're, they're, they're doing the right things. But their hearts are hollow. There ain't nothing in them. They're empty. You're talking about it. You're, I'm a Christian. Great. But you're not living it in your heart. Hallelujah, praise Jesus. I agree. But are our hearts empty as we're singing that? You see, in this passage, we, we see that Israel is claiming one thing, but then behaving in a totally different way. They're claiming it, but then they behave differently. And what we're going to see in this passage is, is evidence and, and really reasoning for people drifting away from the Lord. Why, why, they are, why they are leaving the Lord, even though they, even though they claim it, why are they drifting away? And, and these things that we're going to see are things that each of us should avoid in our faith to maintain a healthy relationship with God. So, so as I said, it, this may, the hollow heart, it may not fit you. You may have a heart full of God, but these are things that you should still avoid. But maybe if, if, if we're in a situation right now that we do have a hollow heart, maybe through this we'll be able to see, hey, I need to correct that area so I can be filled with God's Spirit and I will no longer have a hollow heart. So let's look at the reasons as to why people drift away from the Lord. And the first is this, phony praises. Phony praise. So, so, so Israel and, and the Jewish people, they were not short on their praise for the Lord, right? They knew how to praise. They would go into the temple, they would go into their worship services, and they would praise. They drew near, it says, with their mouths, and they honored the Lord with their lips. So they sung the songs, they said the right things, they read the scripture, they came and they participated in the right actions. They did what they were supposed, they were checking the boxes, Okay, I said this, I did this, I did this. And look how great I am. Praise God. But sadly, these folks were really not any different than a lot of people today that go to church. It's a phony praise. They say and they, and they claim they love Jesus. They say, I'm saved. I know the Lord. And then listen to me. There, there, there's, no, there's nothing wrong with proclamation. I believe in proclamation, right? That's, that's really the point of baptism, right? Where we are publicly displaying an inward change. We are proclaiming it. That that is important. When you get saved, listen to me. You come and tell me, whether you tell me to keep it a secret or not, I'm going to tell everybody, all right? Listen, when, when, when somebody gets saved, when you truly get saved, it is important to proclaim. It's important to announce it, right? Because we want to share the good news. That's the point of it. However, there are so many people that, 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 that worship and they, and, they, and they praise with their lips, but what they're saying does not impress God. They're saying it, but it doesn't impress God. Why? Because their hearts are hollow and their words are heartless. Exactly. They're empty in their hearts, yet they say it out loud. They praise and worship God with their mouth, but not their hearts. It's a phony praise. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got to be careful of that. 
That'll take you away from God, whether you believe it or not. Saying it with your mouth and not believing in your heart, you will drift further and further away. Wait, wait till you hear what Jesus has to say about it. We're going to talk about that here in just a minute. Wait till you hear what Jesus said about him. So the first thing is phony praise. The second thing is forged proclamations. You see, the, the problem with God's people was the fact that they did not mean what they were saying. They did not mean what they were saying about the Lord. Their words were empty and hollow because it was not birthed from their hearts. They had become spiritually blind and ignorant because they would rejected the truth that had been presented to them. They were saying they believed in it, but the reality is they were behaving in such a fashion that actually took their heart away from God. You see, God isn't impressed with our praise for him when it doesn't come from a sincere heart and a life that backs it up. We can say it, but if our life doesn't back it up, do you know what Jesus has to say about that? Matthew chapter 15. Listen to this. This is, this, this is Jesus Christ. This is some serious stuff. He says, you hypocrites. Mm. Matthew chapter 15. Verse 7 is where he said that. He says, you, you hypocrites. Now, now, preachers in 2022, I'm not allowed to say that to anybody. So, so this is Jesus' words, all right? I, this, ain't, this ain't your preacher talking right now. This is Jesus. You see, they're, they're, they're claiming it, but they're not living it. And Jesus says, you hypocrites. And listen, he actually quotes Isaiah. He says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts, they're far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus called to the crowd to him and said, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. It's not about what they eat, but it's what comes out of their mouth that defiles them. Jesus said, you hypocrites. You claim one thing, but you live another you say it on Sunday, but on Monday, you're living a different life. Mm. But then listen to, what he, listen to what the disciples came and said to him. Listen, listen to what the disciples said. The disciples came to him and asked, do you not know that the Pharisees were offended when, you, when they heard this? Sounds like they're talking in 2022, doesn't it? Oh, wait, preacher, you can't say that because somebody was offended. Well, if you know me, you know I don't care because I'm not, I'm not saying it, Jesus is. All right, I'm just presenting it to you. My job is to present the truth, not, not, to, not to change the truth, all right? But it sure sounds like they're talking in 2022, doesn't it? You can't say that. That's offensive. Well, guess what? Let me, let me tell you a little secret about the truth. It's offensive. And as soon as we get rid of the truth, to not offend the world, guess what happens? Jesus is looking at us and saying, you're a bunch of hypocrites because you're acting like them, but you're proclaiming something different. Mm. Mm. I already told my wife, I said, I'm not expecting a lot of amens this morning. This is one of those sermons, like, the preacher's actually saying that. I know. That's okay. I'll get in trouble, not you. It's fine. I'm the one getting recorded, not you guys. But Jesus is calling us a bunch of hypocrites. He says, you can't have forged proclamations. Either you're living it or you're not. You can't have it both ways. You can't say one thing and live another. You either you say it and live it, or you just don't do it anything. You, you got to quit riding that fence. He talks about that in Revelations, doesn't he? He says, you're lukewarm. You, you, you proclaim it, but then you live another way. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. He says, I'd rather you be hot or cold. Don't, don't, be, don't, don't try to ride the fence. 
You either live for me, you live against me. There, there's no options. Quit with the forged proclamations. Quit pretending. There, there's, a, there's a cathedral in Germany that says this. It was an old engraving. And, and translated to English, I love it, what the writer said. Thus speaketh Christ our Lord to us. You call me master, you don't obey me. You call me light, and you see me not. You call me the way, and, and walk me not. You call me life, and live me not. You call me wise and follow me not. You call me fair and love me not. You call me rich and ask me not. You call me eternal and seek me not. And I love the very last line here. It says, if I condemn thee, blame me not. If God condemns us. We can't blame him. It was our choice. We made a choice. Listen, we can't have hollow hearts, guys. We can't proclaim it in our mouth and not live it in our heart. It's a matter of the heart, ladies and gentlemen. So it's phony praise, forged proclamation. And the third thing is rigid religion. This is, a, this is where, really where you get into the legalistic things. This is really where you get into that legalistic mindset. As long as I'm doing the right thing, I'm fine. I wear the right clothes, I'm fine. I eat the right things, I'm fine. It doesn't matter what my heart looks like as long as I'm behaving a certain way. My heart can be hollow as long as I look like... I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, right? They were doing the right things, but with the wrong heart. And why were the words of the people so insincere? Well, the, the answer is the fact is their hearts were far from God. Their, their, their worship was, was packaged. It was a very rigid religion. And what we forget is religion has its place. What we're doing right now, this is important. The teaching's important. The, the, the sacraments are important. The, the Sunday school's important. All that stuff is important, but all of that is second to a relationship with God, which is manifested in the heart. If my, if my heart's not right, ladies and gentlemen, guess what? The rigid religion doesn't matter. It's just actions that I'm participating in. And so why, th this isn't going to be on the screen, but, but I got three things as, as to why we get caught up in the, in the rigid religion and, and our heart not being right, okay? This is outside of here, so, so I'm just going to say it, and if you're writing it down, great. But Jeremiah 17 says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. He says, I examine the heart and I examine the mind. I care about, God says, I care about what's on the inside. Well, well, what are some reasons as to why my heart's not right? Well, the first thing is a personal decision for Christ is missing. Listen to me. You can come here all day long. You can come because your mom said to come. You can come because your granddad said to come. You can come out of sheer obligation. But until that decision is made between you and God, nothing matters. You've got to make that personal choice. You cannot rely on the preacher's faith. You can't rely on your grandma's faith. You can't rely on your mom and dad's faith. It's got to be a personal choice. And so a lot of reasons why we get caught in the rigid, the rigid religion in, in, in the trap of just coming to church is because I actually haven't said, Lord, I accept you as my Savior. Forgive me for my sins. We've got to make that choice. An another reason we get caught in this trap of, of just going through the motions is, is really the pressures of life, right? So we get caught into the motions of life. Everything becomes a routine, right? So we have peer pressure, financial pressure, relational pressure. You have a, a, an attitude problem, habits. The influence of the world can cause you to drift away from the Lord. We get so caught up in everything else that we neglect our relationship with God. Our relationship with God gets put on the back burner, and we forget that that should be up front. 
That should be the first thing that we do in the, in the morning. And so we get so caught up in the checklist of, of, of the pressures of everything else. Well, the preacher asked me to volunteer. I got to do this. I got to teach this. Then I got to go to work. Then I got to take my kid to soccer practice. And we worry about the to-do list that we neglect the relationship. I think we talked about this last week or may have been the week before. It's the same thing in a marriage, right? If I get so caught up in all the to-do stuff throughout the day, if I focus only on work, if I focus only on everything else, and I neglect my relationship with my wife, guess what's going to happen? We're going to end up in counseling, and she's going to look at me and say, you don't pay attention to me. And God's sitting there saying, guys, you're not paying attention to me. You're so caught up in the rigid religion that you have forgot to pay attention to my relationship with you. The third thing is distracting problems. The problems and pressures and worries of everyday life, they basically just come in and just say, focus on me. The enemy really, I know when people say, well, the enemy's attacking me. Really, he's not, because all he has to do is make sure you're busy. That's all he's got to do. The, the, the enemy's got bigger problems than you and I, all right? The, the enemy's trying to take down God Almighty. You, you and I, all he has to do is give us a phone, give us a computer, give us an iPad, give us some work, and give us some volunteer stuff, and, and he's got us distracted. He, he, he can give us a Netflix series and keep us away from Scripture. Mm-hmm. How many of us can binge watch, you know, 15 hours in one week in Netflix, but how many of us can actually spend 15 hours in Scripture? If we would weigh the binge-watching cell phone usage to Scripture usage, what's going to outweigh the other? The enemy, he can get us trapped in this rigid religion. All he has to do is distract us, ladies and gentlemen. So it's phony praise, forged proclamation, rigid religion. And then the fourth thing is priorities get distracted. Uh, uh, The fourth reason as to why people drift away from the Lord is their priorities get messed up. You see, what what truly is important and what what truly matters ends up becoming secondary to, to the petty and the insignificant things. The, the petty and insignificant things end up becoming, are, are so important to us that, that we focus on everything else and, and we neglect our relationship with God. Our, our priorities get completely distorted. Uh, uh, that's why King Solomon, right? When, so when Solomon became, uh, began his reign as king, he had his right priorities in life and he was focused on God. First King says, give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this, thy such a great people? And then as time passed, however, what did King Solomon do? Well, his priorities got all out of whack. His priorities got completely distorted, and and he did not heed to God's warnings, and he began to focus on himself. It's about right priorities. I believe we talked about that last week or the week before last. we got to quit focusing so much on the petty stuff. Quit arguing amongst ourselves about the petty and, and, and the little insignificant things and come together and, uh, and focus on the right priorities, which is Jesus Christ himself and our relationship with him. Quit. We, we've got to listen to me. I, I love church people. I've been around them my whole life. I am a church person. But listen to me, guys. We can get petty, can't we? Not many yeses on that one. I think I heard a very faint yes. Yes, preacher, we can. Oh, church people, listen to me. We can get petty. Can you believe? (laughs) Yes, but did you pray with the person? No, but I'm going to talk behind their back about them. Are we willing to sit down and have a cup of coffee to resolve it? No, I'd rather backstab them. Preacher said it. Sorry, guys. The reality is we got to quit being so petty. We got to get our priorities right. That person that we're arguing with, God loves him as much as he loves you. We got, we got, we, the pettiness has got to end. We got to get our priorities right. 
We can, we can listen, church people can drift away from God as, e- as easily as sinners can if our priorities aren't right. The fifth thing is poor development of spiritual habits. This is a huge one. We basically, we have dismissed the spiritual disciplines. And we just go through the motions. I read my Bible, I went to church, and that's it. And the reason that Israel ended up in the state that they were in, and the reason the same thing we do, is that we develop poor spiritual habits, right? When we neglect spiritual habits such as Bible study, prayer time, tithing, and attending Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches, it will hinder your walk with God. We have got to understand, we have to listen to the spiritual disciplines. We have to behave with the spiritual disciplines. We have to act on the spiritual disciplines. We have to actually participate in them in order to grow. But we develop poor spiritual habits because it just becomes a thing that we do. We just go through the motions and we forget we have to develop genuine spiritual habits. First Peter says, as newborn babes desire sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. We ha- in order for us to grow, we have to create healthy spiritual habits. We have to have spiritual disciplines in our lives. Don't neglect them because you will drift away. Then number six is this, limited or no dependence upon God. Th- this is huge. Um, what happens is, 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 is when life is going good, right? Some folks say, you know what? I don't need the Lord. I got this. But then as soon as something bad happens, what do we do? Lord, help me. Lord, help me. But then it's going good. I got this. John chapter 15 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What we do is we have limited or no dependence upon God. Listen to me. You want to be able to stay with God, have that healthy relationship and see the church grow and stop drifting away from him time and time again. Learn to depend on him in all circumstances. Things are going rough, pray, Lord, help me. Things are going good, give him all of the honor and glory. Give him the credit for it. Don't undermine who God is. Don't take the credit for yourselves. Give him the glory and honor. Limited or no dependence on God will make you drift away from him. Number seven is periods of spiritual dryness. How many of us have ever been in a period of spiritual dryness where you just say, I am not growing. I am, I, I, I love this word, I am stuck in a rut. I'm just, you know, if if any of you have ever done any kind of off-roading or ever been in the snow, you know what a rut is, right? It's when your car is bogged down, your tires are just spinning, right? You're putting in all the effort, you're doing everything right, but you're not moving. See, if we're not careful, our heart can drift away from the Lord and we can get into the spiritual rut. And when this happens, your your, your, your spiritual life would become really robotic, right? So we're in church, but we're not really here. Our, our heart and our minds are somewhere else, and we're wishing that the preacher would stop talking so we can get to lunch, so I can check it off my list. I went to church, go get that pot roast, and I can go to bed, right? We go through the motions, and then, and then our service, because of that, our service and our worship of Christ, it's really lost its zeal, and then we enter into a time of dryness. In Galatians chapter 6, Paul actually warns us about this. He says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. He says, keep going. Avoid the ruts. Find new and creative ways to really refresh your relationship with God. That's where the spiritual disciplines come in. Practice a few of them this week and then switch them up and do some other ones next week. Make sure you don't get into that dryness because as soon as you hit that dry season, listen to me, it's easy to drift away from God. 
It's so easy. Because then you'll look back in 10 years, you'll be like, I, I don't remember even what the fire of the Holy Spirit feels like. And then the pettiness sets in and all these other things set in. All because we're entering into periods of dryness where we can't get out of them because we have drifted so far away from the Lord and we need him to bring us back. So periods of dryness. Number eight is past deeds and accomplishments. The eighth reason as to why we can drift away from the Lord is number one, the enemy use our, uses our past against us and, and we allow him to do it. So in other words, he'll look at you and say, you know what, you failed, you were no good. And we sit back and think, well, what's, all, what's, what's the point, right? I failed in the past. Why, why, why accomplish it now? What's the point? I, I'm just a failure. And we allow that to set into our hearts, and then we just say, God, I can't do it. I, I, I've never been able to read through the, the entire book of the Bible, so why start this year? I, I've, never been, I've never been the smartest person ever, so why, why do I need to volunteer and teach? I've never, and we make up all these excuses because of failures of the past. And God says, look, I got that you failed in the past, but let me take you into the future. Or we let our past, we let our past uh, successes actually completely snuff us out and drift us away from the Lord. Um, a lot of times we talk about the past, we always talk about failures, but sometimes we allow our successes to completely move us away from God. Because what happens is, is we say, and believe it or not, I have heard church people say this. Actually, one of them that said it was in my family. Listen, they'll say, I have done enough. Look at where we used to be. I helped get us there. Let someone else handle it now. I have heard people say that, ladies and gentlemen. They allow the successes of the past to say, you know what? I ain't got to do nothing else. Look what I did for the Lord. There's enough merits. I'm going to make it to heaven. And so they quit trying because of the, 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 the successes that they had in the past. And they just quit, right? And, and maybe it's because they, they were so successful in the past and maybe things don't look like they should now or they don't look like they did in the past. So they say, you know what? It took us forever to get there. Why try now? Because we're not like we used to be. Well, God is saying, you got to keep going, otherwise you're going to drift away from me. You're, you're going to end up taking the church somewhere it shouldn't go, or you're going to end up, you are going to end up going somewhere you, you don't want to be. you got to keep pushing forward. Don't let the deeds and the accomplishments of the past take you away from God. And the ninth thing is this, and the, I have this point and one more illustration, and then I'm, and then I'm going to wrap up, guys. Is, is number nine is this, desire for the Lord is depleted. Talked about during prayer time. We're just tired. You see, Christians can drift away from the Lord really when we lose our love for Him. It becomes mundane. It's not like it used to be. We don't have that, you know, camp meeting fire in our hearts anymore. And we forget that it is like a marriage. You know, those of us who are married, when, when we roll over in the mornings, do you always have that honeymoon feeling? Come on, married folks. You know what I'm talking about. You roll over, you look at him, and you think, I love you. I just don't like you today. Come on now. How many married folk have ever done that before? My wife has. I, I have never done that. I have loved her the same way I did on the honeymoon. Oh, wait, no, that's a total lie. Anyway, we love each other the same, but sometimes you roll over, and you just think, ugh, again today. But listen, why, why do we say that? Because we made a commitment, right? 
We made that commitment to love for better or for worse. I want to stay with you forever. I am going to put in the effort to make sure that we're going to stay married. I'm going to rekindle that fire any way I can, right? In periods of dryness, we say, you know what? We sit down. What can we do to get that fire back? But for some reason, when it comes to God, people say, well, I just don't feel him anymore. And forget that you made a commitment to serve God no matter what. Even if that little fire or that, that feeling isn't there, that's the problem with today's Christianity is we get so dependent on feelings. I don't feel it anymore. I don't care what you feel. You made a commitment. Jesus died for you. We need to keep that relationship going no matter what. Amen or ouch? One or two. We made a commitment to the Lord. And we got to find ways to rekindle that flame every single day. That was the problem with the church of Ephesus. In Revelation chapter 2, it says, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had for me at first. Consider how far you have fallen. I mean, just look at, the, the, look at Jonah, right? That was the problem with him. He ran the opposite direction when God commanded him to go to Nineveh. He loved God, and then God said, I need you to do something pretty tough. And Jonah said, absolutely not. I'm done. It gets tough, so we quit. Or it's like Peter, right? So Peter said, I will absolutely never deny you. Jesus says, you're going to deny me. Peter, what did he say? I will never deny you. It's easy when you're sitting around a table full of food to make those commitments, right? Oh, it's easy to make a commitment when things are going well. But what had happened as soon as it got tough, what did Peter do? I don't know him. It said it got to the point where he actually cursed at him. I don't know him. As soon as it got tough. How many of us are like that, church? Oh, hallelujah, amen. As soon as it gets tough, we find that trigger, we fall right back in the sin. Instead of sticking it out with God. I don't feel it right now. Guess what? That's okay. You just keep pushing. You stick with the spiritual disciplines. It will come back. It will come back. And as we read through this list, I know what you guys might be thinking. Well, pastor, that, that can never happen. That's such a big list. Well, the reality is it happens every day. Every day, things like this make people drift away from God. Happens all the time. Other matters, things, and people become more important than Christ, and we put him on the back burner. Here, here's what I want you to consider. Consider the statement of a really well-known university. And this was, their, this was their mission statement. To be plainly instructed and consider well at the main end of your life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ. And this university was founded in 1636, and this university employed explicitly Christian professors, emphasized, or, or exclusively Christian professors, emphasized character formation in its students above all else. It says we're going to hire Christian people to teach them, we're going to have character development, they're going to leave here knowing who Jesus Christ is, and they played a strong emphasis on equipping ministers to share the good news. And when they would give out the diplomas, the diplomas actually read, truth for Christ and the church. And we all know what the school is. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody know? It's Harvard. That was their original mission statement. And they only hired Christian professors. But only 80 years later, it's founding, uh, after its founding, a group of New England pastors sensed that Harvard had drifted away from its original foundation. And so they were concerned by the secularization of Harvard. And so they approached a really wealthy individual who ended up financing their efforts and that university is now called Yale University. Fun fact about that. Isn't that pretty neat? That both of those universities were established on Christian beliefs. And Yale's motto was not just truth like Harvard, but it was light 
and truth. And today, Harvard and Yale's, their, their legacy of academic excellence is still intact, right? They, you, it, so if your doctor comes up to you and says, I went to Harvard or Yale, what do you say? Perfect, I'm going to listen to you, right? Because they have, they have academic excellence. They, they only take the best students. They, they, they want the best students. However, neither school resembles their founders envision. What the founders envisioned, neither school resembles it. And at the 350th anniversary celebration at Harvard, uh, Stephen Muller, he was a former president of John Hopkins University, he bluntly stated, this is what he said, the bad news is the university has become godless. Just a short time, guys. That was 350 years later. However, 80 years after Harvard's establishment, people said there's something wrong here. And what happens is, as Harvard and Yale's founders were unmistakably clear about their goals, academic excellence and Christian formation, but today, don't, they look significantly different, don't they? However, they, they experienced what people like to call mission drift. They lost their first love, which was Jesus Christ and the foundation of Christian formation. That was their first love. However, what happened? They had mission drift. They left their original mission of becoming Christian people. And because of that, now look where they're at. I mean, they're still great schools, academically speaking, but they left their Christian foundation. Why? Well, over a period of time, they had mission drift. And, and, and as we look at these things today, the reality is how many of us have gotten into the trap of mission drift? That, we, that when, we, when, we, when we were sitting in that revival or we were sitting in that church service or maybe if you're like me, it's just dark one night and you just felt the Holy Spirit tugging, we had that fire. And how many of us have sat back and just over a period of time have mission drift? I've allowed everything else become my priority. And here I am, I look back and think, man, that kid that got saved, he had been so disappointed in the, in the Christian I've become. He was so on fire for God. He was going to go and save the world. And here I am getting caught in pettiness, bitterness, and letting the little things take me away from God. You see, it's not about confessing with our mouth and then living another way. It's a matter of the heart, ladies and gentlemen. And so it, it's my prayer. It genuinely is, as we continue through this year, that each of us will go back. We'll take a step back to our first love. Jesus Christ, our God, and we learn to love him again with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that we will stop letting the tides of life take us adrift, and that we will once again rekindle that flame of love for God and learn to love him with all of our hearts. Listen, it's great to proclaim it, but it's not enough just to say it with your mouth. We've got to stop having hollow hearts, and we've got to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen? Well, now the pastors are going to come back and lead us in song, and if our ushers will, um, get ready to come. As Tanya said earlier, we are um, going to be taking up a love offering for Danelle. If you guys weren't here last week, um, she lost, I think, everything, right? Yeah, she lost everything um, to a house fire. And that can be very devastating. So what we're doing is we're taking up a love offering, um, and we're going to give everything that's given right now is going to be given to her um, to help uh, her to get back on her feet. And so we're going to pray over this offering, and then we're going to go into worship. So please give as much as you can or as much as the Lord's leading you to give. Dear Heavenly Father, 
Lord, we come to you right now. And Lord, we cannot imagine where Danelle is right now. Lord, we cannot imagine what it feels like to lose absolutely everything. But Lord, as we give, we do pray over this offering. Lord, we pray that you help this to go to her and to be able to help get her back on her feet. And during this very tough time, Lord, we pray that you put the right people and the right resources in her life to be able to overcome this trial right now. And it's your glorious name that we pray this. And everybody said it. Amen. Amen.
Let's go to prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I ask you help each of us to be able to examine our hearts, and we ask you, Lord, to examine our hearts. Lord, we no longer want to be hollow, but we want to be filled with your Holy Spirit. And as we leave here today, Lord, point out any area of our lives that need to be changed and help us to be filled with you. And it's your glorious and holy name that we pray this. Amen. God bless you guys. Remember at two o'clock, we're going to be celebrating the life of mourning the death of Jeff's mother. So please come back at two o'clock in the sanctuary. God bless you guys. And I love you.